How many of you guys have your entire life planned out? One of you. You're awesome. How many of you guys don't have a clue what's going to happen after high school? All right, how many of you guys have like a next step? You're like, after, after high school, it's college somewhere. Okay. Idea of a couple things that they would like to have happen. Every high schooler I've ever encountered knew they wanted change. Um, I don't think I've ever met any high schooler that didn't want to graduate. Uh, as well as in 15 years, how many of you guys' plan is to still be living in mom's basement? Anybody? One guy's like, video games for life! Okay, no, um, but hopefully you have a plan, and that plan involves change. And as I was thinking about it, a lot of times you don't know what you want to do, but you know you want to do something, and you want it to be awesome. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I, I, I just want it to be great. I want to have an impact. I want to do things that matter. And as I was looking at this going, well, how do we get from where we are now to where we want to be? Especially when half of us don't even know where we want to be. We're like, well, where are you going? I don't know. But it's going to be awesome. And I want to get there. Like, how do you get from here to there? How do you um, become an overnight success? And I, I got looking at this kind of just thinking about this concept and going, well, who in the Bible would come across as an overnight success? And there's two guys that really stuck out to me that I want to look at a bit of their stories tonight. Um, is David and Joseph. David, as far as anybody else can see, he's a little, he's a little runt brother. He's got um, seven older brothers, and then he's the little guy at the end. He watches sheep, and then all of a sudden, if you never heard of David, he goes from watching sheep to taking on the greatest enemy that his nation had, um, was facing and winning. And Joseph goes from being this dude in prison to being the second most powerful person in the world in 24 hours. And we would look at these guys and we would go, we'd define them, we would call them an overnight success. But before you get too excited going, I can be this too, let me define for you what an overnight success is. An overnight success is when a thousand hours of preparation meet with a moment of opportunity. Uh, when a thousand hours of preparation meet a moment of opportunity. Luke 16.10 says, if you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with great responsibilities. And I got thinking, going, well, what, what things did David do that made him an overnight success? When you go, well, apparently he put in the right thousand hours of preparation so that when the moment of opportunity came, though no one else in the nation was ready, David was ready. And so I got looking at this, and I kind of went back to his story. And to top things off on this frustration of wanting to be something, wanting and not knowing what it was, in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, the prophet comes and anoints him to be king. Well, you know, he's been watching sheep, and he calls his dad and says, Hey, I'm going to anoint one of your sons king. Dad's like, Sweet, bring seven sons. And he checks them all out and goes, uh, uh, None of these. This all you got? Well, he's the little guy watching the sheep. Go get him. David comes in. He's like, hey, you're going to be king. Pfft, dumps oil on him. See ya. Next step, like, going to give me a palace? Like, what's going on? Enjoy the dream. I put oil on your head. And that's it. And it, that's where a lot of us seem to be, where we go, you know what? I have a dream. 
I have a desire. I want something to be great. But what does David do the day after he gets anointed? Watch his sheep. What do the sheep do? Poop. Eat. And walk off. Like that's what they do. You keep them there. Don't let anything eat them. Don't let them kill themselves. And uh, when they eat all the grass, move them to grass that they didn't eat yet. And like, oh, hey, simple, kind of simple. Maybe a mission trying to keep them all from running off. But as, as I was looking at this, I'm like, okay, so his, his life here seems disappointing. Not that a shepherd's life is all bad, but when you're like, hey, I've been anointed king. And they're like, you know what? Good luck. Go watch sheep. This would be this place of frustration when you know that there's something more. And then following, as, as he's there, his brothers get to go off to war, and he gets stuck watching sheep, and occasionally going and playing a harp in front of the king, because the king is being tormented. But the king doesn't even notice him at this point, because after he kills Goliath, the king is like, who, who is that kid? So even though he's been playing the harp until after he killed Goliath, the king hadn't noticed. And so as I was watching this, I'm like, okay, so he's there watching sheep, and 1 Samuel 17, 4, it says, And there came out um, from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. How many of you guys know how long a cubit is? One. What's, how long is a cubit? Elbow to the tip of your finger. It's about 18 inches. Nate, Nathaniel, can you come here? All right. Nathaniel, I picked due to his overwhelming size, okay? Um, just a man of great stature. Actually, he's a man who very proudly owned up to his five foot one stature. Uh, you'll note that my shoulder is a little bit below his head. He's, how, how much taller than my shoulder is he? Two inches, maybe? Three inches, perfect. That puts my shoulder at four foot nine. So if he stands up on me, I guess he's gonna be one inch tall. He's gonna be um, nine foot, 10 inches. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. So you can go ahead and stand on the stage and then step onto my shoulders. Okay, now, he's not overwhelmingly wide, seeing as he's for someone who's nine foot, ten, in, ten inches tall. But could you imagine coming up to somebody who was that tall, but was full size? So rather than being like, hey, look at us, the two of us make one giant bean. Like... Uh, <laughs> You know, for this, for our weight at this height, it's kind of a joke. But could you imagine coming to someone who's that tall, who's been working out their entire life? All right, you can step down. Because that's what they saw. Everybody came up and they saw him, and you got to figure that his shoulders are probably about this wide. He was wearing, depends on who you, you study, 165 to 325 pounds of armor, of gear that he's carrying. Uh, this is not a, you know, this little guy, I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's go fight. And uh, I, uh, I, I read something, in a, I think it was actually in a Western a long time ago, and I thought it kind of fit this. It said, God made all men. Smith and Wesson made them equal. Um, and for those of you guys who don't know who Smith and Wesson is, they're a gun manufacturer. Because before guns, you go into a fight and muscles make all the difference in the world. Now you go into a fight and you got this big guy, he's like, I'm going to smash you. And the little guy's like, ah, boom, and he wins. Um, but before the day of the gun, muscles made the difference. Like you get in there and you're like, Wah! and the big guy's like, bam, done. And it makes a difference. So everyone sees him and they can't just like bust out a gun and go, you're too big, boom, 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 boom. I'll unload the whole clip. That's not an option. And so 
everybody is afraid and just is freaking out. And he comes and everyone just kind of bails and hides because no one wants to get called out. Not only does this giant show up and be like, hey, they've got a hero. But this, this hero of the Philistines steps up and goes, all right, send me a man that they may fight with me. Rather than have an entire battle, we'll just do one man and one man. Winner takes all. If I win, you'll be our slaves. If you win, they'll be your slaves. And he, he's challenging this and nobody wants to step up. And then David shows up. And we, we hear that everybody else is afraid in 1 Samuel 17, verse 11. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. As David shows up, he, he gets there and he says, as he talked, he's talking with some people and he's greeting, greeting people. And behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard them. Now, everybody else has been hearing this and freaking out. David's response. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And I read that, and there's a couple things that struck me. First off, he didn't respond the same way everybody else did. Why? And then, why does he bring up this uncircumcised Philistine? Isn't that kind of vulgar? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And then I realized that the answer to both questions are the same. Because everybody else just sees this giant guy. And David walks up, and there's been some preparation both physically and in his heart. And he starts in this comment with the preparation of the heart. He looks at this and he goes, he's not making just a crude gesture about this man. What he's doing is he says, as an Israelite, our covenant with God has this outward sign that we've used to mark us as God's people. God has promised to protect his people. This man is not one of God's people. He is challenging God, and he is outside of that protection. What's to be done for the, for the person who takes on this guy who has no relationship with God, who's defying God? And he, he states that I don't just depend on me. I am depending on God. And I see things through the lens of God and his promises, not just through the size of my muscles or his muscles. And I, and I look and I begin to see that there was some heart preparation that set him up for this. And as he, um, as he begins to speak, his brother first mocks him and then um, he asks somebody else. And as he starts to ask around going, hey, what's going to happen? And they're like, hey, you're not going to have to pay taxes ever again. Your family's not going to have to pay taxes. You get to marry the king's daughter. And he's going through this. And uh, the king hears that someone's asking. And he's like, someone's actually asking about this? Someone's actually considering fighting him, bring him to me. And he shows up. And the king, when he shows up, was not like, yes, so excited to see you, ready to have you fight. He looks at him and goes, you're just a little kid. What do you think you're doing? You can't fight him. You're knee high to a grasshopper and he's been fighting since he was a little kid. You're going to die. And David goes through and says something. He says, your servant, this is Verse 35, or 34, excuse me. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Used to keep sheep for his father was 12 hours ago. Uh, and when there came a lion 
or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Actually, the way that he says this sounds as if this has happened on more than one occasion, which is kind of crazy. Um, first off, how many of you guys would like your job if you regularly had to try to chase down a lion with a stick? Give me back my sheep! Like, how many of you guys go, take the sheep, take the sheep, go, just don't come back. <laughs> Call it a sacrifice to the lion. Like, no, like, but he chases the lion down, and this is like a regular occurrence. Like, yeah, when a lion or a bear comes after the sheep, I go after it. And apparently they don't see me and run, because it's just like, oh, hey, it's the pipsqueak. Leave me alone, I'm eating my sheep. And uh, he's like, no, it's my sheep! And like, well, you're just a little, boom! And he says he just strikes it and kills it. Like, sometimes it'll walk away. If it doesn't want to, I'll just kill it. You're just a little guy. How do you strike it? Do you think that the first thing that he ever took on was a lion? No. Why? Because if you were to take on a lion, you'd wet yourself. Like, really? So he mentions the lion and the bear, but I bet before the lion, before the bear, there was a wolf or a coyote. And it was one thing, and, he, and, and he, he, he worked his way up. And as you, you follow this story, after the king hears him say this, the king tries to make, tries, goes, okay, I'll let you fight him, but wear all my armor and wear my sword. And he, he puts it on. He's like, I feel like an idiot. This doesn't work. It doesn't fit. I don't know how to use it. Gives it back. And he goes out there with his sling and a stone. And I have this odd feeling that he'd used it before. And I got thinking, what would a little boy do who's stuck out with the sheep? As a little boy who had a BB gun, I can attest, if you have something that shoots and you're a little boy and you don't have to pay for ammo, you shoot everything. Um, so what had David been doing for years? I wonder if I can hit that leaf. I wonder if I can hit that tree. I wonder if I can hit that bird. I wonder if I can hit... like. And he's been practicing and shooting and, and practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. How significant did it seem at the time while he was watching the sheep? Not very. How significant did that little lamb seem when it was being taken by a bear? Take it. Please take it. But what he didn't know that we know because we get hindsight, we get to read his story, is these things were actually preparation. Because it gave him the strength and the confidence to rely on God and God's promises to step up and go, all right, I'm going to take on a giant and to walk out there. When the giant sees him, the giant doesn't go, all right, bring it on. We have a fight. He looks at him and goes, what do you think? I'm a dog? Send a little boy with sticks and stones? I'm going to cut your head off and feed it to the birds. Like, Lovely. What the confident welcome I was looking forward to. Um, but David just looks back at him and says, you come at me with a sword and a spear, I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And this day I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. And he goes, puts a stone in his sling, steps forward, and it says that the giant starts to come forward. And he just, boom, zips that stone. And it zips, nails the giant in the forehead, and the giant falls. Whether he was dead or whether he was out cold, I'm not sure. And it's really irrelevant because he walks up and goes, hey, can I borrow your sword? Grabs the sword out of his sheath and cuts off his head with his own sword. And I think it's awesome. All right, so, um, but as I was looking at this, I'm like, 
As far as the king was concerned, David was nobody. And then David was the most celebrated person in the entire country. And he would call him an overnight success. But what made the overnight success a success? All the long days of preparation, all the faithfulness that he had been practicing up to that point. All the getting to know God and God's promises that gave him the confidence to step up and rely on God's promises when the day came. And I was, I was thinking about our society today. How many of you guys like superheroes? And if you don't, you're weird. No, okay. You're, you're, you're awesome too. But apparently most of our country does because they keep making superhero movies and they make millions and millions and millions of dollars. So there's a lot of people who like superheroes. And I was thinking about a lot of our superheroes and how a lot of us are waiting, wanting to be a superhero. And our superheroes become superheroes by like getting bit by a spider, um, being exposed to gamma radiation. Um, like, it's like weird stuff. And you're like, what happened to you? Oh, I got bit. Oh, I got like selected and they injected me with super serum. And now I'm buff. I can run really fast and I'm almost invincible. Not quite, but almost. And, and I... I, I I laugh because a lot of us are waiting for the super spider of time to bite us and to make us awesome. And we're like, you know, someday I'm going to be awesome. And what that awesome looks like is different for everybody. Some people are like, someday I'm going to be awesome, I'm going to own a business. Someday I'm going to be awesome and I'm going to be a great dad. Someday I'm going to be awesome and I'm going to have a great marriage. Someday I'm going to be awesome. But what they don't realize is that, first off, there's no great spider of time that bites you and instantly makes you awesome. But they actually figured something out in Captain America. I like Captain America. He's probably my favorite superhero, just to put it out there. But uh, in uh, the, the, the first one, he's talking to Dr. whatever his name is, the dude who came up with the formula that makes him awesome. And he sits here and he goes, you know, hey, before we, we go through this procedure, do you have any questions? And he goes, just one. He goes, just one? Yeah, just one. Why me? I don't want to say it's Etchkin. Anyways, whatever the guy's name is. Um, turns to him and goes, well, I suppose that is, the, that is the, the only question that matters. And he goes into this long speech, and then he looks at him and goes, because it will make, it will magnify whatever you are. It will make a good man great. And he goes on, and it'll make an evil man worse. And as I was thinking about this, Time tends to do a lot of that. It doesn't change you. It magnifies you. And the problem today, one of the problems in America is that our society is pushing to not make you grow up for longer and longer. And people are celebrating the fact that I don't have to grow up, so I'm going to be as immature as possible for as long as possible. And so they up the rate where you can stay on your parents' insurance because they don't expect you to actually get a job. And they go through all these different things, and it's, you know, well, what is this? You know, isn't, isn't the insurance thing kind of convenient right now? Well, possibly. <clears throat> but here's where it becomes a problem. A lot of people are living one way today, wanting to be something different later. Going, I'm living immature and selfish, and I want to be awesome later. I was talking to Bob a while back, 
And Bob was sure that he was awesome and that his family was crazy. Uh, um, I'm sure his family was not perfect. But I was talking to Bob. He's like, I can't believe this. And I'm like, what happened? Why did they kick you out? Why are you locked out? Why? What's going on? And Because um, there was drama. And uh, he's like, well, because I threw a chair through the wall. Okay. Um, well, why did you throw a chair through the wall? Well, my dad or my mom. And he'd go on about how somebody else did something that was crazy. And I looked at him. And, and, I, and I got to tell him something. I said, Joe, do you realize that today is tomorrow's practice? What does that mean? I said, let's fast forward. Five years. Ten years. Ten years from now, do you want to be married? Well, yeah. I don't want to be single for life club. No. Like, let's, yeah, let's, let's like, find a wife. Okay. Ten years from now, you're married. Do you think that your wife will ever make a mistake? Well, probably. To be human, okay? How will she respond if she does something really stupid? Because if she's human, at some point in time, she'll do something really stupid. So when she does something really stupid, what do you think would happen to your marriage if you threw a chair through the wall? Or if you yelled at her and like you did at your home, instead of punching the person, you decide, look at me, show self-restraint, I'm going to put my fist at the wall right next to them. What's that going to do to your marriage? Bad. Yes, yes, Bob, it would be bad. What's a, one of a woman's greatest needs? I have no idea. Okay, it's security. Is that going to build comfort and security into your wife? Probably not. Okay. So your present behavior would destroy the foundation of a strong and healthy marriage that you want to have. Is that correct? Yeah. So when are you going to fix it? Well, my family's crazy. <laughs> good. What? They're good practice. <laughs> if you can learn to get along with them, you can learn to handle yourself when someone does stupid. Then when someone later does something stupid, you've practiced how to handle it. Because this is a spot where a lot of people want to disassociate where they are from where they're going. And they're like, well, I can act however I want now, and it's going to have no effect on what I'm going to become later. I want to spend all of my money now, and I'm going to be rich later. How is that supposed to work? Well, like, well, I'm in high school, and I don't get that much money, so I'm just going to spend it. Brilliant. When are you going to learn to manage it? Because do you realize that high school is actually the easiest time in life to manage your money? Like, what do you mean, man? I work part-time. I have just a little bit of money. You have no bills. You're like, you see, you have the magic box in the, in the house. The magic box is not the TV where screens, pictures move. It's the box that you open and it's filled with food. It's called the refrigerator. And it's followed and surrounded by cupboards. You have no idea how amazing this is until you move out. And you open the fridge and it's empty. And you open it again and it's empty. And it doesn't refill until you go to the store. It's ridiculous. And then you open the cupboard and it's empty. And you're like, no worries. And like, you go to the pantry and it's empty. Like, this is frustrating. And then you go to the store and you buy food and you bring home the food. And you're like, I'm going to put it on a plate. And you're like, did you buy a plate? No. Oh. <laughs> And then you, you, know, you, so you get plates, then you go through, and you're like, I'm going to brush my teeth. 
Where's the toothpaste? Did you buy toothpaste yet? No. You find you go buy toothpaste and toothbrush, and you get there and you get out of the shower and you're like, my ears got wet. I got I need a Q-tip. Oh, I gotta go buy Q-tips. That was the most frustrating thing when I went to college because I. It wasn't like, hey, pack up all mom's stuff. It was like, move 10,000 miles, you got nothing. If you didn't buy it, it ain't there. And you begin to realize that, wait a second, all money-managing skills that I have had are now going to be put to the test because up to now was a joke. Because what did I pay for? I paid for a car, I paid for gas, paid for insurance. You're like, well, that's nothing. Can I manage it then? If you haven't been giving now, how is it going to get easier when all of a sudden you have bills coming in your name? And a lot of times it's like, you know what, I'll give when I have more money. It doesn't get easier when you have more money. It gets harder. It's really easy when you get a dollar and you're like, I got to give a dime. It's a dime. Pink. You're like, it's like 10 pony rides at Myers. Come on. Sorry. I have little kids. I think in pony rides now. But like, like, it's not a big deal. You're like, Whatever. And you're like, ooh, I got 10 bucks. I got to give a dollar. You're like, hey, this isn't even a full shake. Like, whatever. Like, you put it in, it's a dollar. I remember the first time I got $100. And all, I'd been giving since I was a little kid. Like, I had this little jar of dimes that my parents, like, would give me. Like, all right, you get a dollar. So you got to put one dime in there. Like, sweet, dime for Jesus, nine dimes for me. Wee-hee. And uh, then I got, I got this $100. And I'd been giving an offering. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, dude, my tithe is $10. I don't remember how old I was. It wasn't that old at the time. And I was like, whoa. That's, do you realize how many toys I could buy for $10? And all of a sudden, it was, it was harder. And I realized later that if I hadn't been giving before, I wouldn't have given then. And if I hadn't given then, it would have been a whole lot harder later. I have given large amounts that were much easier for me to give than that $10 was that day. Because faithful with little, faithful with much. The things and that you're going through now may seem insignificant, but they actually prepare you for your future. And when you find someone who drives you crazy, rather than just going, will someone please remove them from my state, um, realizing that they actually help you, because let's just say you married an angel that never causes a problem. Um, first off, they don't exist. But let's, um, it would actually literally be an angel and not a human. But if you married this perfect person, you're probably going to have a job. And at your job, you know what you're going to find? Normal people that will drive you crazy. What are you going to do when they drive you crazy? Are you just going to yell and scream at them, punch the wall? Think you're going to keep your job if your boss ticks you off and you put a hole in the wall? No, I, and you laugh. I've actually had someone, um, there was someone on staff here who lost their job because they hadn't learned to handle themselves and they actually got mad at me. Um, and in their anger, they at the time um, had a key that would, for their job that would get them into some different places. They got into my office and I have, uh, I think right now there's 10 swords, two spears and a four foot nail in my office. Um, not the office to break into, but uh, they came in when I wasn't there, and in their frustration and anger, they decided to take one of the swords to a coffee table um, in my office, and uh, that coffee table's no more, and neither is their job. Because when do you think it goes away? Think there's a magic age when immaturity just melts away? 
when all of a sudden you think clearly even when you're angry? I have sad news. There's no point where it all of a sudden gets easier. There's not one point like, woohoo, 21, I'm an adult. <laughs> all of a sudden, my ability to rationally think and control myself has magically increased. Some of you guys were looking forward to that moment. It doesn't actually happen, sorry, to pop the bubble. But right now, you are practicing and laying out a foundation for how you do things, for how you handle anger, for how you handle conflict. For okay, I do pre-marriage counseling, and a lot of what pre-marriage counseling is is showing people what habits they've created and letting them begin to change them and what, letting them decide in their home that they're about to create how they're going to align the differences in them. How are you setting up your marriage? Like, dude, I'm a freshman. It's okay. You're actually working on your marriage right now. You go, how? No one likes me. Okay. <laughs> it's all right. When you get frustrated at your sister, at your mom, and you choose whether you respond respectfully out of frustration or whether you yell and scream and say things that you're going to regret later, you are setting up a habit for how you deal with frustrating situations. Because it doesn't get easier when you reach a magic point. I can't tell you how many people are expecting anger to magically go away. They're expecting lust and pornography to magically stop because they reached a magic age or got married. And they, they go through and they create practices and habits and then wonder why those same practices and habits destroy their life later. Because today, you are setting it up. And you go, well, I'm just stuck in school and it's frustrating. Yes, but you are deciding right now and practicing when things are hard, how do you respond? Because school might be hard. But do you realize that someday you want a job that pays you money? The harder the problems that your job solves, the more they pay you. If you just give up at school whenever it's hard, you're going to have a minimum wage job. If you can't turn in your homework... You can't be relied upon very much. You're not going to have a job that pays you very much because they have to pay somebody else to watch you over your shoulder and make sure you stay working. And I say this in love. Um, but so often people don't understand. They go, well, it doesn't matter right now. I go, but it so does. And I've watched people that come in for jobs with different um, after doing this differently, after taking these days in high school to practice different, where some of them said, you know what? I don't understand this. When am I ever going to use this? And they go, I, I'm never going to use this, but I'm going to apply myself because I'm going to honor my teachers because I'm going to practice how I respond to stupid people because I bet later in life I'm going to meet stupid people because if you just can't handle stupid people, then there's very few jobs that we can stick you in. Because even if everyone that you work with officially is awesome, most jobs encounter people that pay them. And if you encounter someone who's buying things, if you, you come up and the guy comes in and he's rude, and trust me, there'll be some clients that are rude, shut up! And you like go off at them, um, you'll find yourself looking for a new place of employment. 
feel you're practicing that? In all these different spots where you're like, well, I didn't know that this mattered. Like, this is the minimum wage job. Why does it matter how I flip the burger? Because you're practicing your attitude at a job. And when you get a better job, there's going to be a day when you feel like taking it for granted too. And how you practiced behaving is, becomes your default. Um, you, anyone ever watched a professional fight? Okay, these guys are awesome. They're ridiculous. Um, I don't actually watch it much, but I got to meet Reinhardt Bedato, who's, at the, when I was talking with him, he had, I think, three um, world champion belts for kickboxing. Um, for both lightweight and super lightweight kickboxing. The guy was ridiculous. He hit so hard. Um, we did a demo at a school where he was talking about some stuff and hold the pads, and you'd, he'd just, so fast. He'd be like, you ready? You ready? Bam! What just happened? And you're holding the pads, and it wouldn't just like hit you and rock you. It would like move you off your feet. So you're boom, and you'd like lift and launch. Like, what just happened? Because he just hit so hard. These guys trained. You don't want to know why they train a ton. Because if you get in the ring with one of them, and they go to punch you, and you go, they're punching, what do I do? I should duck. You know what happened? You're going to be looking at them, up at them from the floor, because you just got clocked. You do not have time to look and go, fist, coming, appropriate action is, block, duck. No, you need to have programmed fist, bam, poo. Like, you need to be in there. Anyone ever watch Karate Kid as a new one, old one? Wax on, wax off, why? He wanted you to have this motion so in that when something comes, you're like, what? What's going on? What's going on? Because you don't need to fake, it just happens. Okay, so you're programming in things so that when the event comes, what you've already been doing randomly pops out without you having to try. Do you realize that that's what you're doing today? That's what you're doing with your relationships in high school? That's what you're doing with your relationships with your family? That's what you're doing with your finances. That's what you're doing with your walk with God. Because a lot of people are like, you know, someday I'm going to have an awesome walk with God. And you're like, so great. Did you, you know, how was your devotions today? Did you what? You know, your time with God. Um, I, I didn't have time with God today. Okay, great. How was your time with God yesterday? Uh, I, 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 I didn't have time with God yesterday. Okay, when was the last time you had time, spent time with God? When, like, you read your Bible or prayed for something other than your food? They, um, camp. <laughs> like, you realize that was, like, six months ago, seven months ago? Yeah. But I'm going to be an awesome man of God. When? When are you going to put God in enough that that's what overflows? When are you going to put God in enough that, that you can rely on his promises in a hard situation? Because if David had waited until then, it wouldn't have happened. And I was going to talk about Joseph. We might have to talk about him later because we didn't even get to Joseph. Because all sorts of stuff happened to Joseph that seemed frustrating, that seemed annoying, that set him up and made him able to become the second most powerful person in the world. And there's a lot of stuff that happens to you that's annoying, that's a pain, that's, that's hurtful and painful, that if you will let it, will set you up so that you can win, so that you can succeed, and so that you can overcome life, and so that you can help others overcome. 
But as we, as we look at this, this concept that today is setting me up for tomorrow, if I know where I want to go, what am I doing today? And if I don't know where I'm going, am I being faithful with what I have today? I want to ask, I, I think that all of you guys want to go to heaven. If you don't, it's because you don't know what heaven's like and you don't know what hell's like. You say, you know what, today I know that I want to go to heaven, but I've never started that. Let's set up tomorrow, today. And I want you to be able to start a relationship with God. He says, whoever calls on his name will be saved. We're going to call on God and declare him to be Lord of our lives. You say, you know what, I want to do that. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I want to receive his forgiveness. I want to know that I'm right with God and I'm on my way to heaven. I'm going to count to three and ask you to raise your hand. And we're going to call on his name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One, get ready. Two, three, raise up your hands nice and high. So that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want him to come in to wash away my sins. Awesome. God, I thank you for this awesome group. I ask that you would have your way in us, that you would help us to value today, that you would help us to be faithful with the little things today. God, that you could use today to prepare us for tomorrow, for the great things that you have in store for us, that we could be faithful with all the little things, that we could begin to set up a great marriage, that we could begin to set up great finances, that we could begin to set up great ways of handling conflict, that we could begin to make choices today that will set us up for success tomorrow. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.